Dotnet Rocks episode 849 with guest Vishwas Lele. Recorded live Wednesday, February 20th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back. It's .NET Rocks, Carl and Richard on location at the MVP Summit. The, the global MVP summit in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Richard. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine for this early in the morning. <laughs> I've been up for a while already, so I've got my stuff in order and uh, showered and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Me too, more or less. But I haven't been up as, uh, as much as you have. Anyway, we've uh, had a great time here at the summit and uh, ran into Vishwas Lele. And uh, we're going to bring him on in a minute. But first, we have a little thing called Better Know Framework. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Well, this uh, we're talking a little bit about SharePoint as well as other uh, things today. So I thought I would give our friend Hilton Gies now a shout out. He does a podcast on SharePoint. It's www.themossshow.com, M-O-S-S. And uh, looks like he's got 63 episodes in the hopper as of today. And uh, we've known Hilton for a long time, and it's a good show. If you're interested in another podcast, it's uh, highly recommended for those SharePoint people out there. TheMossShow.com. And uh, Richard, who's talking to us today? I grabbed a comment off of show 842, and that is the one we did with Martin Woodward when we announced the uh, Git for TFS integration. And we got this great comment from Ruslan Albu, who said, wonderful approach from Microsoft to use Git together with TFVC. Git offers a lot of benefits, but we went for TFS because of the ALM integration. We are using TFS 2008 and tried to migrate it to hosted TFS. That's the, the one in the cloud. Using TFS integration tools, but it failed miserably because, you know, wasn't built for 2008, dude. It's built for 2010. Right. We had lots of issues during migration, starting from broken branches to missing change set information. In the end, we gave up migrating the repository in order to keep the history and decided to just get the latest version and commit it. We kept the old server as history reference. Fortunately, we put this on hold for a few weeks, and now with new Git support and using Git to TFS, we managed to get the complete history locally and pushed it to a Git repository. Microsoft should keep us updated with their plans. I understand that if they want to have a surprise, but we started using hosted TFS without keeping our history. And later when they announced the Git support, we realized we could have kept the history and this would have been a dis annoying disappointment for us. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Russell. Secrecy doesn't seem to help anybody here. If we'd known earlier they were doing Git integration, I think it would have affected a lot of things. I mean, I'm glad they've done it. It's good stuff. But uh, I don't see why keeping it a secret was a, such a good idea. So... But we don't get to make those decisions, except, but I do get to make this one. I get to send you a .NET Rocks mug. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers comprehensive developer training online. They have over 300 courses authored by industry experts, MVPs, and people that appear on this show. They roll out 12 to 15 new courses every month. And they offer a free trial, giving you uh, 200 minutes of access to their library. Topics include just about everything on the Microsoft stack, Java, Android, iOS, HTML, JavaScript, and SharePoint. So go check them out, Pluralsight.com. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let us welcome back to the show Vishwas Lele, uh, a hardcore developer focused on SharePoint and Office these days. Also the author of the ebook, The App Economy, Coming to an Office Near You, How the Next Version of Office Combined with the Cloud is Changing the Way Information Workers well, thank do Business. You. Welcome, Vishwas. Uh, the, the app economy coming to office. So office apps, an app store? Uh, that's correct. Uh, so the office apps and uh, also SharePoint apps together. That's quite, a, quite an interesting idea, isn't it? Um, it is it is a very interesting idea uh, because uh, if you know people across multiple devices and multiple platforms have told us and in fact they voted with their wallets 
mm-hmm. that they want apps so people have downloaded billions of apps across multiple devices and uh, so people like that model uh, somebody has pre-validated these applications mm-hmm. they can go download these apps quickly they can purchase them and apps seem to be scenario focused so they do something very specific very quickly and cleanly yes and that's the thing that i was going to ask you is that when i think of office i don't think of small app i think of big app that's office being the big app so this is sort of like a maybe you could think about these apps as maybe plugins kind of thing like you know that idea small focus as you said that's right you know targeted to a particular task maybe almost like new features you know that is right you know, I'm, I'm with you, Carl. I've been struggling with why did apps take off now? Because it's not like we haven't had catalog websites for ages that allowed us to download software. That, that That's not new. But, I mean, clearly it was the Apple App Store that really detonated this thing. Although, years before, I was using Steam. You know, that was how I, I loved the, having my games on. You know, I replaced my machines regularly. So, the fact that all my games were stored online and I could re-download them when I built a new machine was awesome. But, yeah, I mean, clearly Apple detonated this thing to the point now where Office and, and, and SharePoint are getting into the game. Do, what are the big pieces you see that make this work? Uh, you mean the, in the Office store itself? The or, whole idea of an Office idea. store and, and why are people going to want to do this? Why, why are going to people want to do that? So that, that's an excellent point. So you, you're right. Apple did detonate this idea. And, the, and frankly, the, the, the time for that idea had just come. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a confluence of many things, one of them being... I don't have to enter my credit card every time I want to go buy an app from right. some vendor. They've, they've, they've taken Amazon's one click, the next logical they, step, right? To, to, to the whole app sure. business, right? That, that's number one. Uh, number two is that there is a security guarantee around this app, mm. that this app is not going to do something bad. Uh, you know, if I go out, uh, you would argue, and as Carl said earlier, you could buy VSTO plugins for Outlook. Sure. In fact, there are very nice ones out there. Mm-hmm. But how many people are going to go buy it and install it? And, and there is no sort of sandbox approach. And they don't seem like apps. They are full applications in and themselves. Well, I think that, you know, one of the big reasons why apps took off is because the portability of the phone itself, right? You know, we have this thing. I want a new feature. I go get it. And, you know, to us, we think about sandboxes and things like that because we're developers. To the end user, they think, oh, this thing that I clicked on installed in 30 seconds and I'm using it and it didn't do anything bad. That is, that is an excellent point. And that's point. the experience that they have. The experience that people on Windows have <laughs> is they go to a website, they PayPal, you know, their $79 for a little piece of software. They install it and most of the time it works just fine. Um, and then, but you know, there's always that f- underlying fear because the history we have with Windows that something bad could happen. That's you absolutely know, blue died. screen of death. I mean, granted, since Vista, really, Windows 7, Windows has been rock solid. And I can't tell you the last time I had a blue screen of death. And there, it's usually related to some driver problem. But uh, You're absolutely right. From a consumer perspective, it is the manifestation of the idea uh, that people want to take control of their computing device, customize it. And the ability to go download just the right piece of functionality mm-hmm. to make them more productive is at the heart of this whole issue about proliferation of apps. So, I mean, s- simpler product. I, do you think the price point's a big deal? The whole $99.99 as opposed to $79, like Carl was mentioning, is that a big part of this? Uh, the price point is a, has a big, big big impact on this. In fact, uh, I can't remember the exact stats, but a large number of them are free apps. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Apple Store, a large number of them are free apps. And that is an interesting segue into what does it mean when you start talking, if people are used to those $0.99 cents apps, right. how does it reflect back into the office ecosystem? And And that is the question because, you know, the apps that we get on our iPhone are typically fun games or you know little productivity boosters but there's nothing like maybe that would be in the realm of something you'd have in an office right that is right so that it's a totally different market it it is a totally uh, different market so i guess you know and before we get into the scenarios which are really fascinating to me how do you think it, well it will be how well do you think it will be received that you know people will 
have the the trust and everything to go and install uh, an office app. So that uh, that remains to be seen, Carl. How yeah. how well it will be received. There are quite a few apps. There was an app contest yesterday, and it was very interesting to see various people present their apps yesterday. At the mm-hmm. end. This was part of the MVP SharePoint track. So it remains to be seen how well it does. The product has not gone GA yet, but there are quite a few apps. And what was interesting to me personally, and I've been uh, struggling with this question. Uh, of what can you do with the apps and right. if you if you talk to the the sharepoint developers and and i'm going to focus this conversation a lot about the sharepoint apps you can of course do office apps mm. uh, which were uh, the code name was agave mm-hmm. so you know you 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 want to track a ups package and you have an app installed a ups app installed in your outlook and uh, because of some rules it figures out that there is a ups code being mailed to you that app lights up in your taskbar, you click it, and you see the UPS tracking right within Outlook without having to leave Outlook. Wow. That's a very interesting scenario, and, and I think there's a lot of uh, use cases there. Mm-hmm. I, I want, I'm writing a Word document. I want to highlight a text and get translation in another language or yeah. go look up Wikipedia. Actually, I, gotta, I don't mean to interrupt you there because yes. anything that makes less email appear in Outlook is a good feature. Like if you could actually have a plugin in Outlook that picked up that UPS tracking email, yes. made the email go away and just, you know, there was my tracker. I like that a lot. Right. So, so you know, the, exactly. I mean, to make the productivity experience better. So there is this whole class of apps called Agaves, which are office apps, but there is this whole big area called the SharePoint apps. And, and, and if you allow me to, I'm going to focus a lot on that area because... Yeah, sure. That is where a lot of these questions come in. I mean, if you talk to SharePoint developers, they have this who moved my cheese moment. Yes. Uh, Because up until now, uh, you know, SharePoint customization is being done through what is commonly referred to as farm-based solution. Mm -hmm. So you write a piece of code and you install it in SharePoint, and that piece of code coexists. If they let you. If they let you. Because you've completely screwed up their farm every time you... Yeah, that is absolutely something. And then, you know, I I do a lot of work in the federal area. uh, And uh, chances are that the contract for development and the contract for management of the farm are owned by two different SIs. I see some good finger pointing going on there. (laughs) So, so, I mean, mean, for a good reason. I mean, I I think uh, um, they have to be careful. And so they are very... Uh, cautious about letting you install form-based solutions. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest problem is that your code is is running on the same server as the SharePoint code, and and you know that is becoming a problem. So let's talk b- fundam- about the fundamentals of where code runs and how th- what the security model is, sure. and then we'll get into uh, SharePoint. So, uh, I, from reading your book, I figured out that a lot of this code is running on the browser, so it's not. Uh, it's it's sort of we don't have all those interop problems that we had, uh, you know, with with VSTO apps and things like that. So, Carl, um, there are three types of apps, and uh, their classification is based on where your code is running. Uh, sort of the the simplest approach is something called the SharePoint hosted app, and in this model, all of the code is running inside the browser. Right. So you basically use all kinds of you know JavaScript and use use their new API to make calls into SharePoint and then render the things as you see fit. So Microsoft's created a, a JavaScript API to let you do calls into SharePoint. They have yes. Okay, that's essentially I mean accessing the list of SharePoint. Accessing the list and mm-hmm. you know earlier you could there was a, there was a client side API earlier as well, yeah. but this has been expanded. Well, I remember do, there was one for Silverlight. This, you know, we were, this was like the changed model for SharePoint was now we're going to do development in Silverlight, nice little container, but it meant that everything was very client side. That's right. So it is an extension of that idea mm-hmm. and, and, and but moved to HTML. That's right. And they call it something called the underscore API, which represents the unification of, of a lot of these API functions on the client side. But, but multiple flavors are available. One for JavaScript, mm. one for C Sharp or Silverlight is yeah. still available. That's awesome, actually. I mean, it's, it's a great idea. So that's one model. There's two so, more. So, so that's one model. And, and I should, I should add that, uh, you know, I built an app recently, which is in the app store called the Media Center app. Mm. And, uh, 
what it uh, and and you know when i submitted this app to the app store uh, i was thinking by calling it media center app somebody is going to call me out and say who do you think you are i mean how can you yeah. call your app media center <laughs> it went through certification okay i was expecting a phone call <laughs> you expected to be bounced back i said they, i thought they would say who who why are you do you think you can use the name but it is so oh, it, uh, based on the availability of media center and how hard it is to get for windows uh, 8 these days right um, maybe i would be concerned that maybe it's going away So so what it does and I'll just use that as an example mm-hmm. to explain SharePoint hosted app what Media Center app does is uh, it is a SharePoint hosted app so it does not have any server side code running at all mm-hmm. you go install the app and it is a free app in the app store today you go install it and once you've installed it uh, it asks you for your windows azure media services credentials okay so windows azure media services when ga 2 weeks back or 3 weeks back it is a highly scalable cloud based Uh, media and coding and delivery platform right that is the way to you know store your media and play your media people in the past have actually uploaded their media assets directly into sharepoint database mm-hmm. bloating their sharepoint databases yes. i should say so the idea of this app is you go and upload your assets in the media services portal mm-hmm. and then once you've downloaded this app the only configuration screen it shows you is please provide us your media services credentials and then through the javascript based api we go and pull down the metadata about your media assets and then show it inside sharepoint so there's no server side code mm-hmm. in fact we are taking advantage of a of a new library which has been added in sharepoint 2013 called the digital asset library so we download the metadata and then allow you to view your media assets so Uh, if i take a step back the the sync and try to summarize in one line the benefit is that you as an intranet administrator can upload hundreds of videos in this highly elastic service and then your users by virtue of authenticating against sharepoint can go access these media assets and i was going to ask you that question like where does sharepoint come into play here this is an azure service that's an azure service right. but the app is a sharepoint app okay right so you go install that app that app internally provisions a digital asset library see see they allow you to use existing sharepoint building blocks right but they don't allow you to write custom code on the server side so in my app i can say please provision me a digital asset library that's fine no custom code is required right and then using javascript i go and pull down the metadata and add items inside that list so you're really accomplishing what you would have done with you know a custom solution except that none of the code is going on the server that is correct i would have to write an event receiver of some sort uh and which would require some kind of a deployment sure. so 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 i'm doing that so that's the sharepoint host pretty app. awesome So so the the metadata actually ends up in SharePoint so that you, ends up in SharePoint. Which is an interesting path here that you've got a, a a browser that's actually probably responsible for the uploads to the media library in the first place and right. then it's using JavaScript to fetch that that's right. that that uh, metadata back down and then push it over to SharePoint. Push it over to SharePoint in a in a digital asset library mm-hmm. and they have built a nice player as part of the digital asset library right. and we we use this this But you're this not player. playing media files from SharePoint you're playing them from Azure. That's right. What we do under the covers is we make a javascript call into media services mm-hmm. and say give us a a URL for playing this media asset. Sure. This portion of .net rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik offering rad controls for ASP.net Ajax. Are you fighting with a SharePoint development assignment? Are you just fighting with SharePoint? You want to stop wasting your time mucking around and get to the real problem? Check out Telerik's Rad Controls for ASP.NET Ajax. This suite offers more than 70 feature-complete controls that help you build custom web parts, as well as four ready-to-use web parts, which allow you to replace the default SharePoint editor, list view, or calendar in order to enhance the user experience across all browsers and devices. It's awesome. Check it out at telerik.com/sharepoint and hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .net rocks. Now, it, in the mean in terms of authentication, the security model of this, of course, you've already authenticated into SharePoint. You're also going to need credentials into your Azure Media Library. That's right. Or is that federated in some way? So, when you install the app, you provide your media services credentials. Right. And then and you've the, registered those independently of, of the SharePoint. So, so the JavaScript code is taking advantage of that. Okay. 
and uh, there's a bit of te- technical details which I'm glossing over. I have a blog post that describes it. Because you're going to the Windows Azure Media Services, you're making a cross-domain call. Mm, right. SharePoint apps allow you to make cross-domain calls as long as you pre-register your external URL. Right. The problem is that Windows Azure Media Services can dynamically give you a different URL. Uh-oh. So you can't put that in the app manifest and Azure websites to help here. I wrote that. I wrote, a, you know, uh, we have a simple intermediary mm-hmm. uh, which actually translates your call over to Windows Azure Media Services and then sends it back. So that's the fun style. I think we, I think, uh, we spend a lot of time in the SharePoint hosted yeah. app. Right. Uh, if I may just quickly talk about the other two models. Sure. So uh, your listeners are probably wondering who have not had time yet to look at uh, the app model yet. And they're saying, you know, this seems awfully limiting. JavaScript is great, but you can't do many things like the server side things like you want to run a workflow, perhaps mm-hmm. you want to do an event receiver of some sort. How are you doing that? And they're, they're probably wondering this. And the answer to that is there are two other styles of applications. One is the provider hosted model where you bring another server to the mix here. And and interestingly enough, that server does not even have to be a Windows server. Uh, oh. It can be any server. Uh, you, okay. you, you get some piece of iron mm-hmm. in your data center. And by establishing a secure communication between SharePoint server and this external server, like a cert-based cert exchange, sure. essentially, you can route your event receivers to a remote location. Now, what's running on this remote machine? Uh, what is running on this remote yeah. machine? It could be it could be any web service mm-hmm. which can do a certificate exchange with the SharePoint server. Right. So something something that supports WS Cert. The, the sub, something that supports supports Cert based authentication right. and supports some web services mm-hmm. that your SharePoint code may call. Okay. So you you just. Yeah, you said it could be running anything that will run web services, which is basically everything. Which which could be running, which right. could be the only thing is the authentication requirement is fairly steep. That is, uh, and so I'm, is it? And is it just like TLS with a client side cert? It is a server to server cert. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so it means both ends have private public key pairings, and you've, right. and you've shared them. That's right. All right. So you generate a certificate. You. It just means you can't just connect to anybody here. You, it's, it's, it's an established right. relationship. Right, and that's why it is known as a high trust connection. You, right. You you generate a certificate. Mm-hmm. And then you register your certificate with the SharePoint server. Right. And then you have a thumbprint of that in your app, yeah. in your remote server. And that's how the and communication They're only going to speak to each other highly encrypted. And effectively, the certifi- certificates become the authentication. That's right. Okay. That is correct. Uh, um, security in general for uh, JavaScript, you know, in the browser can be dicey. How, how do we deal with cross-site scripting and things like that? So uh, that, that, that's an excellent question. Um, to take to sort of avoid the the common JavaScript attack vectors, mm. uh, they have introduced this idea that every app gets its own URL. So uh, that has an implication about cross-domain security. The, so you, you the low-level domain part of it, you know, the the, the prefix. That's the, the prefix part of yeah. it. The prefix part of it is separate, is distinct from the from the SharePoint site that is hosting the app. So myapp.host.com. Right. Is the is that would be the normal yeah, approach yeah, as yeah. opposed to, you know, www.host.com/myapp. That's right. Instead of myapp they have a they have a ugly URL a GUID or something. Uh, some some GUID some awake ident- okay. identifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what That's right. And it does two things. By by forcing your app to have a different domain prefix, mm-hmm. your app cannot just make a call into SharePoint willy-nilly right. and just say, I, I want to go do this and, you know, uh, do cross-site calls. And the other thing it does is uh, that opaque identifier serves as the identity of the app itself. Mm-hmm. So SharePoint app model introduces a new concept. Up until now, we've always talked about user-based security. Mm-hmm. So you have access to this library, you have contribute rights to this library. There's a new notion here called the app-based security. So uh, you could either authenticate the user by their own credentials, mm-hmm. or you could say user credentials, but does this app have this permission? 
And there's this also notion of app-only permissions. Right. And the way it works is, as an app developer, you request certain apps that are that are needed for the running of the app. Right. You request it as part of your manifest. And, and whoever is installing the app has to grant those permissions. And it is, you know, you have to give them all. You just can't, the administrator can't say, I want to give you just top three or right. last two. You have to give them all. Otherwise, the app is not going to work. Yeah. Sort of like code access security that works. Now you're just talking crazy talk, Mr. Franklin. <laughs> code access security. I can't even remember. Remember yes. that? Uh, remember yes. that debacle? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. A little too granular. It is. Uh, so, so that's the provider hosted app. Right. And, and, and the last style of, of app, uh, is called the auto hosted app where you tell SharePoint that you want to write this app and you have this, uh, event handler that needs needed for your app. They will go provision a slice for you in Windows Azure okay. for you automatically as part of provisioning the app. And then they will manage it. And instead of the high trust security that we talked about, cert to cert exchange that mm -hmm. we talked about, in this case, the security is based on Windows Azure ACS. Okay. So uh, that's that's a simple, because I was thinking in the, uh, in your second option there, that other machine could easily be an Azure web instance or, or, uh, or even a VM. Like you could do anything you want there, really. Absolutely. But this so, sounds like a simpler choice that they, but, but you, you're running you, in a particular role. That's right. You, you, I think you've hit the nail on its head. Azure can, that, can be that provider for mm -hmm. you. In fact, I expect many people to do just that because the auto-provisioning model is fairly limiting. Yeah. You know, they, all they do is, you know, they, they go to Azure websites or they provision a SQL DB for you of a certain size. But if you're trying to do something... Uh, you know, on a larger scale, then you would want to provision Azure resources on your own and then provide that to your app in that manner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So give us a scenario of some of um, some more apps that we might find in a public app store and maybe versus a private app store. And is it even possible to have a private app store? It is absolutely possible uh, to have a private app store. In fact, they have this concept of a corporate catalog. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can do two things. You can, as an administrator, purchase apps from the public app store and, it, and make them available inside the corporate catalog so that, you know, your users are not going out and buying these apps from the public store. So they're fed, they're, they're, yeah, they're vetted out before. They're, they're vetted out and, and, you know, they're vetted out. And then uh, also, if there is an option to buy in bulk at a lower cost, you can take advantage of that. Sure. You want to buy 100 licenses. And, and, then, and maybe not deploy all those licenses right away. Like I kind of like the idea that I would go to this service, buy 100 licenses, and put it into my corporate store to be consumed by my internal users. That's a level of sophistication we haven't seen in the phone and the Windows uh, set at all yet. And I think we're really struggling, especially in Windows 8, with how the corporate... Uh, app repository is going to work. So if the SharePoint office guys are moving on this, like I'm excited about that. Yes, and so so they have they have this concept of corporate catalog baked in. Mm -hmm. And the other um, point I'd like to make in response to Carl's question is, uh, you could also just develop app internally, right? And just put them in your corporate catalog. In fact, I see that as an important scenario. I think it's a very important scenario. That uh, I see if, if if I was the CIO of an organization, I would say build my customizations and put them in the corporate catalog. Right. I want to consume them in an app manner yep. to the extent app supports that functionality. Sure. And, and I think it's important to organize it that way, that now it's it's one place to look for all that information. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, it must be that happy time again. It's a very happy time. It's that time in the show where we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Everything Telerik does in one box. It's a $2,000 value, and today's winner is... Philip Partridge from the Netherlands. Uh, congratulations, Philip. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Philip. And uh, he has a couple of requests. One request is a .NET Rocks mug for my work. A software shop full of .NET developers. Not one of us has this famous mug. Consider it done. And more F-sharp shows. Funny, I've got a couple in the hopper already. So I'm looking out for you. Awesome. All right, Philip. Well, if you don't know what we're talking about... Go to .netrocks.com and click on the big Get Free Stuff button. 
and answer a few questions, and you could be uh, you could be a winner. Uh, we have thousands of members of the fan club, and every December we give away five thousand dollars worth of technology. Last year, Rob Corbett got a custom made uh, machine for his uh, developer of mobile development, and uh, we put that together for him. Yeah, with a big 27-inch touchscreen, so he could actually build Win8 apps and do all the touch testing right on that machine. And a connect for Windows and gesture pack. He's he's all set up. Vishwas, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would be on your list? At $5,000 in technology today, I would, um, I would buy... Um, uh, uh, raspberry pies for all the for all the kids. Fifty bucks a crack, man! You're gonna get a hundred of them. How many kids have you got? No, I want to. I want to outfit all the kids in my daughter's school. Oh wow! Awesome. And and that would be that would be a great use of what those a great idea. Oh man, that now now I just got goosebumps. That'd be so cool. Oh yeah, run the classes, get all those kids up to speed on some of the things they can do with raspberry pies, and just set them loose. Right. They'd go mad. I, I was I was coaching my my daughter's uh, STEM project mm-hmm. recently, and um, she wanted to do something. And she's a third grader. She wanted to do something in computers and internet. Uh-huh. And, yeah. uh huh. And and I said, well, you, you can write a program. And she says she's always asked me, how does this email thing work? Ah. And I and I said, rather than me showing you how email works, why don't we make this as a project to write an email program? Wow, great! And uh, of course, you know, this is not any full blown email program by any means. So I taught her and her friend Python in about two, three weeks. Okay. Right? Very simple. I, I taught her three concepts, how to print, how to read, uh, which is uh, the input statement in Python. Right. And then how to dump and load from a file using pickle in Python. Okay. And with these three concepts, these, these two third graders, one of them wrote a send program mm. that asks you a question, who do you want to send the message to? What mm-hmm. do you want to write? Dumps it into a file. Other kids receive program, reads it, and shows it up on the screen. Ah, uh, that's cool. So basic message passing. Email. That's great. Vishwas, we've run down this sort of three scenarios, and the main thing I see coming out of 2013 in this app model is you're not changing your SharePoint server anymore. It's uh, There's no more code being deployed into SharePoint itself. Your admin is very happy with that. That is That is certainly a dream that it remains to be seen how well that comes true. Uh, I I am certainly, like I said earlier, uh, we are in the early stages and I and my colleagues at Applied Information Sciences, we've been, you know, trying to run through some scenarios. You know, Mm -hmm. we have have done a number of SharePoint implementation over the years and we we are saying, we made a list and said, over the years, we built farm-based solutions for these, 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 these things. Right. Can we do these in apps? And and we have not completed that that evaluation right, ourselves. Right. So you're basically looking at all the apps you've already built and said, would it work would in it any work of these models? That? There are clearly scenarios. So 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 first of all, all the existing body of code mm-hmm. cannot be overnight converted into no. apps. Many of it's never going to be. It's converted. never going to be converted, right? And and there are scenarios where farm-based solution is needed. Uh, let's say you wanted to write a custom service application, right? Or you wanted to write a custom role provider. Mm-hmm. There's no way you can write an app for that today. It needs to run on the server. It needs yeah. to run on the server. But to the extent the app model is going to allow it, uh, I think we as developers owe it to ourselves to understand the app model. Even if you don't build an app, my recommendation to developers is go build an app and you will just learn by hitting your head against the limitations. Sure. When I'm, and you know, going back to my media center app, I have a long blog post about the challenges I ran into. Mm-hmm. I had this vision. Uh, of you know trying to write an app that will work both in office 365 and on prem right that's why i went with the sharepoint hosted the least common denominator mm-hmm. model mm-hmm. the most limited feature set the most limited feature set but i had this big idea about there's this management of data stored in sharepoint where you can tag these videos mm-hmm. or you can search it based on management of data and i thought that'll be great i would get all the media assets from windows azure media services right Tag them using metadata service, management of data in SharePoint. Turns out that SharePoint hosted apps have no access to management. Ah, uh, okay. Right? Then I thought that, oh, I'll just simply connect it through BCS. But, you know, there are some limitations. But, so, it was a process of learning. And finally, what I found was, so, so I ran into this cross-domain issue that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. But with Azure, I feel 
and if you understand azure and you you sort of know the platform and you know the basics i think many of those problems we often say that every problem in computer science can be solved with one level of indirection another layer of indirection and that what better layer of indirection than windows azure right and websites Indeed. which is free so so uh, so my recommendation is go try the app model mm-hmm. and uh, see the limita- what the limitations are because one thing is very clear they are going to allow you to run your farm based solutions in 2013 there's no question about right. it and I, and i don't know the team they have not gone out and stated this this is just my assumption that the new features that they begin to light up will go towards that model i'm wondering if there's a sort of a hybrid model where you can take some of the the code that's more reusable not less specialized and put it in the farm based solution and uh, access it there via you know the more customizable more vertical code that's in uh, in javascript i suppose i've not thought of a scenario like that but i i can uh, you know uh, think about maybe some possibilities where you would want to do in hybrid have a generic approach inside sharepoint that talks to the app model yes i'm yeah, something that isn't going to be updated regularly like yeah. you know custom like service utilities or you know sort of helper functions and that kind of thing that's right like a custom you have a custom service application uh, within sharepoint which is fairly generic which gives you access to the bowels of sharepoint yeah and 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 you know but you write it once and you test it and and you know right. so I, th- i think i had not thought of this before you asked me this question so that 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 might certainly be a possibility as i am seeing that one of the big issues here is the cloud is the, microsoft's not going to let you run custom sharepoint apps in the cloud unless you run run your under your own vm you can't use hosted sharepoint and push custom code into that although these new models seem to allow that i my when i put my it hat on and saying you know i'm going to end up with a bunch of old sort of damaged sharepoint instances the ones that are running the custom code that i'm trying to keep alive and all the new instances are going to be clean potentially in the cloud or running on prem but i'd keep the two separated and try and get gradually get rid of those old customized instances yes, i like the way you say clean like you know code is dirty don't do it well yeah more the more fingers stick into that machine the more messed up it gets that and i think uh, uh, the interesting thing from that perspective is you know with with windows azure you are getting your own slice mm-hmm. so you can shoot yourself in the foot oh, yeah. cause your service to be unstable but don't shoot everybody else yeah. in the foot and that's the big thing that's right? that's the big this thing. is what we found with a with the the old style customized sharepoint is you could make a mistake and hammer that sharepoint instance but anything it was running went with you like when that machine finally borked and the service restarted everybody's sharepoint connection was was tossed out there and and to be fair to the sharepoint team in 2010 they did a lot to throttle bad queries yes that was what you described exactly the scenario in 2007 yeah in 2010 they did a lot to throttle those queries thou shalt not select star <laughs> so uh, if i may uh, just describe one other scenario and and carl it goes back to your question about what scenarios do i think no discussion about sharepoint customization is going to be complete without a discussion of workflow mm-hmm. probably the most used feature certainly the case for us and what is interesting is uh, you can now run sh- uh, there's this product called the workflow manager and it is branded as the branding is confusing they may have changed the name now the branding was azure workflow manager which is really a pass service in azure which all you do is give it to your workflow and they'll run the workflow for you mm-hmm. but they also have an on-prem version of that product that you can download it is it is a free product that you install alongside sharepoint it is not when you install sharepoint you don't get it you just have to download it and get it the idea is that if you are writing a very workflow intensive application previously your workflows were running inside the sharepoint context space right. process space and for anybody who has tried to optimize a really a large farm with large number of workflows one of our applications is uh, the most significant or or this or some might argue the second most significant application at fbi mm-hmm. where we have 150 different workflow instance types wow and 30000 users using that system if you've op- tried to optimize a workflow in that scenario you had to press all kinds of knobs and buttons 
to throttle the workflow so that only five workflows are at any time getting tasks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you run the risk of overwhelming the farm, right? Now, with, with this, the beautiful scenario that I'm trying to get to, Carl, is uh, you take all these workflows and then run them in Azure. And, and, and for compliance reasons, if you can't run them in Azure, run them in the workflow manager. Yeah, that seems like a great scenario. Um, and uh, so, so, you, so I think that that is a, a very good scenario. I was quite impressed. I told you there was an API contest. Uh, and, you know, right. my, my wife always, uh, I called her yesterday and said there was an API contest. And mm-hmm. she, she, she always, uh, she is a, a data warehouse person who, who, who's not been working since our daughter was born. Mm-hmm. Hopes to, hopes to go back to work soon. But she always, you know, uh, laughs at, you know, this parallel ecosystem of terms that we geeks have, right? right? <laughs> so, so you know, so she, there was a, a VS Live invite the other day in email which says, meet your .NET rocks uh, in Vegas for attending this VS Live or something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. And and when I told her yesterday that there was an appy contest, mm-hmm. she, you know, she, she, she couldn't uh, stop laughing. So we had about 10 or 12 people, I can't remember exactly, who came up to the stage and they had 10 minutes to present their apps. Yeah, yeah. And I was impressed with the, the apps that were presented. So, so I'd like to call out two apps and I'm sure your users can, can look them up. Uh, the first app is some kind of a log firm knowledge management system. Hmm. So you could... It a is log? A, a law firm. Oh, a law firm knowledge law firm, firm. Sorry, okay. law firm knowledge management system. I, I can't okay. remember the exact name. So there are a number of workflows, as you can imagine. There is this concept of ethical walls. If you're working with one client, you can't work with another client, or you can share information and things like that. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of Actor Reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support, so that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Component 1. Smarter Components for Smarter Developers. And now you're accessing the workflows that exist on SharePoint from JavaScript and HTML. From JavaScript and HTML. And just one more question about that. Do those apps, once you purchase them, do they follow you around from machine to machine? So that that is interesting. Uh, For SharePoint, once you install the app, they are available to anybody who comes to that site. Right? We call it the parent site. Wow. Anybody who's coming to that site has access to that app. Right? There's also this notion of deploying the app to a tenancy, which means have one instance of the app available to multiple people. Yeah. But your question really pertains to office apps. Once okay. you buy this app, does it follow you? So they have a very interesting model where the UPS tracker example. Right, well, right, well, right. Let, let's, well, UPS tracker may, may not be the best example. Let, let's say the, the Bing translation example. Mm-hmm. I'm writing a Word document. And I highlight a text and I say, convert this into Chinese. Sure. Right. Now I want to email this document to my colleague who has not bought this app or, or someone else, a friend of mine who has not bought this app. Mm-hmm. And the way they are thinking about it is the app will travel with that document to the recipient of the email or recipient of the document. Wow. And they will be given a trial subscription of that app. So, you know, they will be able to look at the document, be use the app, but have a trial subscription, and then they can go out and purchase that app. And that's if it is indeed not free. If it is free, 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 then no problem. So I thought that was a very interesting scenario where you can have viral distribution of apps because all of the app footprint is embedded inside the document. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Well, it also saves all the hassle of, you, you're going to need this, you know, you separately send, you need this app to, to look at this. And right. Do you get the right one? Do you get it from the right place? Is it the right version? Like all of those problems. If it's just embedded in the document, it's like, you need to install this. Just hit here. Done. Okay, now it works. 
but they and it's yeah very viral if you've got a pay product you know to actually put it in front of people although they got to make sure the trial modes make sense yes mm. and uh, you know w- what they are also doing is uh, a few things that the, the office team or store pe- people have done which are very interesting is they allow you uh, within the app transactions so and they also allow you ads which oh, really? is, so you you can um, <laughs> i can't imagine you were you you know using a spreadsheet and, and an ad for Coppertone is right there. It's right there. So so I, I think they must have really I don't know how they arrived at that decision, but I'm sure they struggled with that decision. In the end, I think uh, they wanted uh, small startups and individuals to write apps and give them a way to make money. Yeah, I think they, that must have been the decision. I'm just in just and, you know, and I'm just thinking. I'm sorry, I'm tangent to here, but <laughs> no. you know, how, how do you market an ad to a, sh- a spreadsheet user? What kind of products would a spreadsheet user, you know, OCD a little too much? You know, come to our finishing school. I don't know. That's true. Psychological help is available for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. New glasses. Yeah, new glasses. Oh, that's that's right. There you go. That, that's a great one. <laughs> LASIK surgery. <laughs> and in a really small font, you know, can yeah, you read this? Ba- based on the based on your font size and how many types you have typed this cell, yeah. we, we recommend you clearly you going, need some new glasses. You, you need new glasses. <laughs> I see you made a few mistakes there. I don't think you can read well. After it runs for two hours and it starts showing ads for fitness clubs. But this this goes back to this interesting thing about uh, so so they are allowing uh, ads, they are also allowing the um, the microtransactions as people call it. Yeah. So in app purchases, in app purchases that you know app is free, or uh, what is the term called for that freemium? Freemium. Right. Freemium is the term that uh, I can go. App is free, but you want to download these special templates. You start paying for that. And they allow you to have oh, microtransactions. Oh, you want to use it for an hour? Oh, okay. Well, you're going to have to pay for that. That's right. You only get uh, 20 minutes. That is correct. Well, that's cool. So, sorry to have derailed your story uh, <laughs> into that, but uh, we were talking about uh, a particular scenario of a SharePoint app. Uh, right. So, we were talking about two scenarios, and, and just just quickly about the previous one. I have not, I don't know the functionality, but it seemed like somebody had done a great job of writing a provider-hosted app mm-hmm. and packaged up some functionality that would be relevant to law firms. And that right. gives you, you know, a law firm can go out and purchase this app and then, you know, have it be, you know, extend the SharePoint experience for their needs. And it's definitely not a 99-cent app. Like, you're talking about a, a case management system. That's a expensive piece of software. But it, the fact that it would, rather than be a totally standalone application, integrates into SharePoint, integrates into Office, so that it's you know, combining the tools that people already know how to use and, and working with those workflows. I think that's pretty important. And not running on the server. Yeah. Uh, not having to set up a separate SQL instance and all of those things that it takes to, to put together something like that. That's right. Uh, and uh, the other scenario that we have looked at it ourselves as part of the evaluation that I mentioned earlier is uh, people want to run workflows. Mm-hmm. People want a very quick experience in terms of, you know, we, we were using InfoPath forms earlier and not the fastest experience. So people want to fill out very lightweight HTML kinds of forms and then drive their workflows. The The beauty is that you are driving the workflows off of documents showed, stored in SharePoint, but the workflow instances are running in Azure. Right. And you have a very lightweight HTML5 form to fill out and complete the workflows. And what is interesting is, so, so you're probably wondering, uh, I'm sure your, some attendees of yours are wondering, okay, so you keep saying that you have an HTML5 lightweight form that is driving the workflow. So you're talking about a screen within SharePoint. How would it look? Well, it is an iframe within SharePoint. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then the next question is, oh, if it is iframe, then it must look really distinct from SharePoint. I mean, what about the whole experience? Right. How does and it integrate nicely? How does it integrate? So they, they give you something called the Chrome control. Okay. Which you can, which, which is really a div tag inside right. your iframe. It can go out and reach the parent web, access the, the CSS, yeah. and apply the styling. 
so, so so no matter what the yeah i get it so you know you can you can it go dynamically to, changes it dynamically changes you can go to the parent web and say you want the the blue theme today as opposed to the green theme mm. and that will get applied to your uh, chrome control and your app that's pretty darn nice there so not generally available yet when are we going to be able to get this uh i'm i'm not sure about the dates mm-hmm. i uh, Uh, it's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. In fact, uh, was it there some? Un- there was some announcement related to Office three sixty five in uh, last week. Um, so I- I- I'm not sure about yeah, the dates, but it's fairly imminent. And I just want to be clear here. I mean, we've talked about Azure a fair bit, but for certain folks, Azure is just not an option. But the app model, all this stuff, works on an on-prem SharePoint twenty thirteen. Absolutely, it does. You don't does. have to use. Azure for any of this. You don't Azure is not a requirement. Right. You can you can bring a piece of iron in your data center and that piece of iron could be running Windows or mm-hmm. Linux or what have you. As long as it can do the the high trust model that we talked about yeah. can expose has some kind of a rest head on it. Mm-hmm. You will be able to co-look, you know, externalize your server side code which used to be in SharePoint on this piece of iron mm. and 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 Go with it. What it seems like they've done is they've moved all the things to their appropriate places, you know, decomposing the whole experience of using a, a SharePoint app, and everything everything runs in the most logical place that it should be running. That you know, that seems like that, that's that what seems, was really happened. That seems here. like you know the approach of uh, please get out of the SharePoint core process by all means, customize it. But take your customizations out, and by in doing take so, take your friends, take your stuff, and get the hell get out the hell out of here, and, and just then, mail me what you want, because <laughs> you still have that connection to that other machine, you, you, right? You still have the connection. So my my client machine is making a call into SharePoint to utilize a particular feature. Now the SharePoint's got a configuration setting essentially says when this feature is used, you have to make a call to this external web service. It's running on another machine. That's right. That's right. And there's some some pretty uh, pretty fancy dance that is going sure. on of you know exchanging tokens and things like that. There are these concepts of context tokens and access tokens mm-hmm. that, and the whole concept of OAuth, which we have not talked about, yeah. which really powers all of this. Is certificates and the trusted connection uh, is that necessary, or can I make a call to a you know a public web service where I'm looking up zip codes or something like that? You can make a call to the public web yeah. service. The the trust connection is needed if SharePoint wants to fire a remote event receiver. Let's say. Got it. So right. the stuff that's more closely integrated. Stuff that's more has closely to be integrated. secure. So, which so is, it should be anyway. Which should be and, and there are two things, right? One, we are talking about establishing a cert based trusted connection between SharePoint and that external server that we talked about. But then on top of that. As far as the authorization is concerned, this user has permission to do this. That's where OAuth comes into the picture. Right, and it, and if that server's badly behaved, it's going to slow the whole process down. And if it you know ultimately fails, SharePoint's not going to get back the data at once, and you're going to probably carry an error forward. That is right. But so you're not, at least not going to crash the SharePoint server anymore. Like you we're able to in the old models where badly behaved code would really break things. Right. And and, and just, just to be clear on that point, uh, the piece of code that is waiting for the external server to come back, right. that is still in a, remember, the just separate iframe and, yeah. and things like that. So, so first of all, you should be writing async code anyways, yep. which does not block you. And even if you... Uh, find yourself in a situation where your remote server is not responding it is that iframe that is impacted not the sharepoint server itself now, now is is the client machine actually communicating with the other service or is it all through the sharepoint server so so let, let's just take a scenario right mm-hmm. i have a i have a sharepoint page and i have a i have an app on that page mm-hmm. right i as a user go to the sharepoint page right and the sharepoint detects that there is a page on this Uh, there's an app on this page right right it goes out to acs uh, l- let's just let's just take this example of uh, auto auto provision apps right right it goes to acs gets an context token sends it back to the browser the browser then brings up that iframe where the app is located mm-hmm. but then it does a post back to 
the remote server now. Okay, so it is speaking to the remote it server. It is speaking to the remote server. Okay, so the authentication keys have been picked up from SharePoint and handed back to the browser for it to speak to the server. That is exactly okay. right. And now the remote server needs to go put back to ACS to say, Is this okay? Is this token yeah. okay? Do I trust this token? And then in response to that, the remote uh, the remote server is being is being handed out an access token mm-hmm. essentially and and that's how this this whole process is working so yeah sharepoint ends up just being the uh, broker of that transaction passing the tokens around and that's authenticating right. everything that's right. but the actual workflow goes between the browser and the third party service of the, the remote service. service and so ultimately if that fails it's the browser that's impacted. That SharePoint's correct. not ready, waiting for anything. It handed that, its tokens. Around. That is that is correct. Okay, that is correct. But it just keeps SharePoint out of out of the 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 synchronous loop of rendering those things. That is right. Uh, it, it's a more robust model, but I'm sure people are going to struggle to set that up the first few times. Th- that is absolutely right. People will. There are a f- fair amount of concepts involved, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 need to understand all of this OAuth magic. Yep. You need to be able to set up your cert-based high-trust connection. Yes. Uh, so there are a fair number of things. You, you need to understand the implication of firing a remote receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some, some differences there. Well, and it uh, sounds like this is the path of last resort, where rather than use any of these simpler solutions, you need to stand up your own custom services here. And so you're going to go through some non-trivial hoops to make that work. Right. And, and they have provided documentation, but you're absolutely right that the first few times you do it, you need to understand it. And then also, the IT pros need to understand what is the right yes. handshake, you know, who owned the certificate and all of that. So, and then I would also say that people need to understand async and Windows Azure. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they'll, they'll take advantage of some Windows Azure capability. So, SharePoint developers have a whole host of topics to, to get themselves acquainted with. To make to this be, work together. It to, sounds to, like your original scenario where it's just the, the, the JavaScript API being able to do some customizations against SharePoint. That's a really strong solution. Like I, that seems like the path of first resort. That, I'm looking absolutely. About new development. I, would, I would start with a SharePoint hosted app. And mm-hmm. if you run into a problem, for example, the, I, I have a problem with the Media Center app. And I'll tell you what the problem is. And you'll appreciate this point is I told you when, when you install the app, you have a button up there it says sync right i pull down all the metadata into the sharepoint list and from that point on you can go visit that list right the 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 problem is since there is no server side code how about periodically synchronizing the metadata right why do i have the browser involved in synchronization so you know right now the the sort of not so ideal solution is i ask them how often should i synchronize they say three days when the user visits after three days, I know that they have not been here for three days. Right. I, in a background thread, go do synchronization. Nice. Right. And and this is in JavaScript, so this is in the browser on a background thread. Yes, this is in the background thread until you press the back button. Until you press the back button, yeah. and, and I can get you know I can't make a HTML five dependency and yeah. start using web worker or things no, like no, that. No, no, I we get it. Done that. I get it. But yeah, it just if you press, press the just back, one of the the the. the casualties of using this technology that you you you've absolutely right i mean you you hit the back button the synchronization stopped yeah you go go back there and you're scratching your head and saying i am sure i uploaded these two videos they're not showing up here yeah and the big button sync now again and 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 so this is the limitation of the scenario i wanted to stick with the sharepoint hosted model so i said i will draw a line Mm -hmm. and 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 you know release this version and uh Maybe a future version can be an auto-hosted app. There's a workflow in Azure which every night synchronizes your metadata with, sure. the, with SharePoint. Something like that would be possible. Yeah, I'd hate to have on the server itself you invoke a web page just to kick off that JavaScript sync mechanism. That would be ugly. Yet my mind went there immediately. Yet it would work. <laughs> that doesn't make it right. Vishwas, thank you very much. This is a great. And, and I really enjoyed the book with the, the storytelling and the characters and everything. Uh, if you haven't read the ebook, go go do it now. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Vishwas. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. Dotnet Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.